0: Okay, so our scripture text this morning will be Acts chapter 2, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. I suppose I can't sit, anyway. I've been out since 3 o'clock this morning. Oh
1: my son, soul. Soul, Lord. Lord.
0: can't sit down, can't sit
1: hmm. down? Oh. Oh. It's alright? <laughs> I get it. the Lord
0: looks after us. Amen. So I'm counting on it. Okay, I'll get serious now. Okay, Acts chapter 2, and we'll be reading the first eight verses, because they are the foundation of our study this morning. We're going to try to do the whole chapter, and we can't do that in one sitting. Not with me, anyway. And so, we're going to read the first eight verses, and then go through and pick up verses. How's that? When the day of, the, of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, who are these that are all one accord in one place? Disciples. Yes. The disciples, chapter 1, verse 15, tells us there was almost or nearly 120 of them They were all gathered together in one place. Wow. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. We have now come to the 50th day of Easter, Pentecost. And Pentecost was a very important feast for the Jewish people. It was the day the loyal Jews celebrated the completion of the grain harvest, which would occur around Passover. And then from the first Sunday after Passover, they would count out seven weeks. And this would make a total of 50 days after Passover, which is why it's called Pentecost, a Greek word for 50. Initially, it was called the Feast of Weeks. Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 to 12 it was a very important day of celebration for the Jewish people. First, God commanded them to celebrate it in Exodus 34, verse 22. And second, it symbolized the ingathering of the harvest that God had given them. And third, it commemorated the fact that the people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt, but that God had gathered his people and harvested them from other bondage that's Deuteronomy 16, verse 12. So the day of Pentecost was originally like our Thanksgiving, a day to give thanks to God for the harvest. But what kind of harvest are we talking about here in Acts chapter 2? Everyone who was there for the day of Pentecost was there for the harvest festival, to celebrate the harvest of grain. And during this harvest celebration the Jews brought the first fruits of their harvest in thanksgiving expecting that God would give them the rest of the harvest as his blessing on them. Mm -hmm. And little did they know that on this particular Pentecost there would be another kind of harvest to celebrate not a harvest of Mm grain but a harvest of souls. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: This particular day of Pentecost was the day of first fruits of Christ's Church, the beginning of the great harvest of souls who would come to know Christ and be joined together through the work of the Holy Spirit. Fifty days before the day of Pentecost, Jesus rose from the dead. On Easter Sunday, Jesus began to harvest a crop of souls that his suffering and death and resurrection from the dead produced. The seed that was sown in his mother, the Virgin Mary, has produced a crop of Christians. The harvest began after Jesus had risen from the dead. He appeared to his disciples on several occasions over a 40-day period. Remember that from last time? But just before he ascended to the Father, he told them in Luke 24, verses 46 to 48, this is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. It was their great task to preach repentance in his name to all nations, but before they began their task, he added these very important words of instruction to them in verse forty nine I am sending you I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The disciples. We're going to be his witnesses and were going to preach about him. But they could not do so until power had been given to them. <clears throat> they first had to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to preach the message that they were given, an infilling of God's wisdom, strength, courage, and vision. The Holy Spirit would be their comforter teacher, advocate, guide and challenger. And in the echo of that promise they left the scene of the Ascension with great joy, Luke 24 verse 52. And so they were in Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus command, waiting for this promise to be filled mm-hmm. and they would celebrate the day in which they present in which they presented, the first fruits of their harvest to the Lord. Acts chapter 2 begins by telling us about Jesus' disciples. In verse 1: When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, the place may have been part of the temple. We read in Luke chapter 24 verse 53 and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. They made their home in the upper room but day after day they went to the temple and were in the temple courts where there was a great deal of freedom and many side rooms there. And it may very well have been that is where the Holy Spirit came. And it is difficult to imagine how The large crowd mentioned in verse 5 could have observed the activities in the upper room or congregated in the narrow streets outside the house where the disciples were meeting. And while they were gathered in one of those rooms at the temple, a great thing happened to them. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, as we visualize this scene... It is important that we pick up on the similes that are used by Luke to describe this occurrence. First in verse two, we are told that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. <coughs> Excuse me. Now the text does not say that there was a violent rushing wind, but a sound from heaven came that sounded like a rushing wind. <coughs> the Holy Spirit could not be seen but his presence could be felt and heard. And the sound filled the whole house where they were sitting. <coughs> Throat's clogging up. Sitting is the normal position for listening to someone speak rather than for standing for prayer. So when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were sitting, okay, <coughs> listening to someone speaking. So therefore, they weren't praying at this particular time. This sound was needed to attract the crowd to where the disciples were, so they could hear the Gospel message. Second, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now again, the text does not say that these are fiery tongues, but that the appearance of the tongues was like fire. It was the visible manifestation of the descent of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Just as when the Lord Jesus came up from his baptism in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit was seen descending upon him and lighting on him as in the form of a dove. Remember that. Mm-hmm. And so now tongues like as of fire were seen resting upon the heads of the disciples. A fire often indicated the presence of God as in the burning bush where God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and as in the pillar of fire that led the children in Israel in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 13. So also here the fire shows that the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, is present for and with His people to lead and to guide them. And as a result, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. <clears throat> Simple Galileans, not knowing any other language than their own, spoke with fiery boldness in the mother tongues of all those who were gathered there in Jerusalem from all over the world, verse 5 proclaiming the wonderful works of God in Christ in dozens of different languages. This gift was given for the sake of the gospel. The people who heard this said in verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Through this miracle, The Holy Spirit was saying to the people, Jesus is for you. He is for all nations and all languages. He died for everyone. He is your Savior from sin. And you can be sure of it because you are hearing it in your heart language, in your own mother tongue. And the same is true for us gathered here this morning. The word of forgiveness won by a man, Jesus Christ, who spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. The word of forgiveness preached by the apostles who spoke Greek. And this word has come to us, translated into our own language in the English tongue. And that is God's gift to us. And there is no more personal way of saying that Jesus is our Savior than to say it in our own language. The gospel of Christ is for each one of us. Because the crowd could hear the disciples speaking in their own tongues, they were all amazed and perplexed, asking one another in verse 12, whatever could this mean? What the listeners needed was not an interpretation of the words, but an explanation of the sound of the wind, the fire, and why various languages were being spoken by ordinary Galileans. The basic purpose of the miracle of languages was not simply to communicate. The miracles, including the speaking in languages, were meant to get the attention of the crowd and have them wonder what was happening. And they certainly accomplished that. But there were some in the crowd who rejected the Holy Spirit. They mocked the disciples who were speaking in other tongues, saying in verse 13, they are full of new wine. Now to put it another way, they thought those folks or these folks are pickled. (laughs) they're drunk in other words it seems there are always skeptics who will pawn off the obvious truth for a lie and an irrational answer but rationalism can never give a reasonable explanation for anything that is divine and yet thank you someone's listening (laughs) <laughs> and yet those mockers were actually more correct than they realized. In Mark chapter two, verse twenty-two, Jesus had said, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine skins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. Can't even read my own writing. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Okay, The wine of the Old Testament was poured from the old wineskins, the prophets. That's what it's referring to. But now in these days of the early New Testament, the apostles are the new wineskins. For Christ himself is the great, great cluster. For he was crushed in his suffering and passion that he might bring forth the wine of the Spirit. The apostles are filled with this new wine of the Holy Spirit, that they might bring life and joy to the nations. It is written in the days of the Messiah in Joel 3, verse 18, the mountains shall drip with new wine. And here we are seeing the beginning of those days, days in which we still live. Jesus was truly alive And it wasn't just because the disciples said he was alive. He was actually proving it by having a radical impact on the lives of his followers. And the impact was so dramatic that those who saw it couldn't make sense of it. You know, it would be better that the people of this world would look at us and completely misunderstand the work of the Holy Spirit in us, thinking that we're drunk or pickled or something, than that they look and not see anything different at all. Oh, that the people around us would see a genuine evidence that we have been touched by the Holy Spirit of God, our living Savior. In the face of the bewilderment and mockery, Peter, a fisherman, stood up and began his speech in verse 14 to the astonished Jews by insisting in verse 15 that the disciples weren't drunk since it is only the third hour of the day, that is, just nine o'clock in the morning, and ordinary folks did not get drunk so early. Moreover, Devote Jews were in the habit of fasting until after that hour on a feast day, nine o'clock being their hour of prayer. Peter demands the people to consider a logical alternative. He said in verse 16 that the events which have taken place were spoken of by God through the prophet Joel. And in verses 17 to 21, he quotes from the Greek translation of the old testament joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32 and in that passage god had promised that there would be a time when all those who followed him would receive his spirit and not just prophets kings and priests now there are three key points peter makes to the crowd based on joel's prophecy first they were living in the last days And he begins the quotation, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Now what is interesting is that Joel does not say the last days. Instead, Joel says afterward. Peter is telling his listeners that the afterward is right then. That those days of the Messiah were currently being lived in and was not something that would happen sometime afterward because the Messiah had already come. And second, Joel in his prophecy was speaking that upon all humanity, blessings and judgment were going to take place. And the blessings are that God will pour the Spirit on all flesh. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, shows that the pouring out of the Spirit was understood as the coming of blessings. God said, For I will pour water on the person who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. So when Joel and Isaiah prophesied the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, they were speaking of God's blessing being poured out on the people. The blessings are not... The only benefits derived from the Holy Spirit coming upon human all humankind because also refers to the, it also refers to the blessings that came because the Messiah had come and conquered death. However, judgment was also promised in this outpouring. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord." This imagery is used repeatedly by the prophets to describe a coming judgment upon a people and nation. Peter alludes to the point here in the quotation of Joel's prophecy, and now since the Messiah had already come in the form of Jesus, it was time for judgment to come upon all humanity And third, to avoid judgment, call upon the name of the Lord. By quoting Joel's prophecy with a tone of urgency, Peter drove home his point that a new day had dawned in God's relationship to his people. A new invitation was being issued to everyone in verse 21 that whoever, that is, everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this needs some clarification. This is not talking about anyone who at at just one point in their life calls out to Jesus. Jesus clarified in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he or she who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." In our text, Acts chapter 2, verse 21, is talking about people who honestly, from their hearts, trust Jesus and worship Him and depend on Him and try to honor Him in their lives. They are those who worship and pray to and serve Jesus. Calling on Him is a characteristic of them. And in these last days, those who call on His name, those who keep in touch with Jesus, those who maintain a relationship with Jesus, will be saved. Amen. Psalm 145, verses 18 to 20 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him, He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. God's righteousness leads to his discriminating judgment. His grace leads to his saving works and forgiving actions. God both preserves and destroys based on his infallible insight into human intent and purposes. God's final act of salvation began with the pouring out of his Spirit. And this final act of deliverance will continue until the end of the age. Peter continued preaching to the assembled crowd. And then he said to them in verses 38 and 39, Repent! And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And the glorious result of Pentecost. Verse 41 tells us that 3,000 souls who were the first fruits of the crop of souls that to this very day continue to be brought into the burn, the Christian Church. The Holy Spirit poured out on the apostles, and Peter prophesied, and three thousand dead in their sins came to life. Three thousand were baptized in the name of Jesus. Three thousand believed in Jesus, that He died and rose from them for them. 3,000 received the forgiveness of their sins. 3,000 went back to their homes, bearing the good news of Christ crucified, risen and reigning, speaking in their own native tongue, telling their children and co-workers and neighbors the good news. It was like a, a field of right dandelions. Well, this is an illustration I think everyone knows about. <laughs> we have them at home. Do you folks have them? Anyway, I'll get back to it here. It was like a field of ripe dandelions. When the wind blew on them, all the seeds blew off and landed and took root and sprouted and grew into a whole new crop. And that's what they do.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: That was all right, right? Okay. Thank you. So Now I'm starting to come back to this Not spiraling anymore. So today, we celebrate not just the day of Pentecost at the temple in Jerusalem, but also the great and final Pentecost, the plentiful harvest. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. The great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We celebrate this day of Pentecost, the message that gives life to the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So in conclusion, and this would be the final message on Easter. Okay, we've done three. This is three. The 50-day marker. Don't you smile. <laughs> I'm only teasing it. Look, I can't help it. I'm happy, in pain but still going. <laughs> Amen, brother. Uh, Gail always tells me I'm a pain in the neck, but today I'm a pain in the side. <laughs> okay. According to Acts 2, verse 39, the power of a personal Pentecost is available throughout the church age. Our Lord Jesus tells us in Luke 11, verses 10 to 13. Now I'm going to read this from I forget which translation they use, but it's all right. For everyone who asks, receives. For everyone who seeks, not, or finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask Him? For us to experience this anointing of a baptism of the Holy Spirit, we must ask the Father for it. In these verses, the Greek word is present and active, meaning to ask and continue asking. Asking for what? Okay. Asking for the anointing or baptism of the Holy Spirit until the fullness comes. And this anointing or baptism is an endowment for service. Therefore, let us keep, or let us ask and keep on asking until the fullness comes. So we bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us a a part of the Church, that you have baptized us with the Holy Spirit, immersed us into his life, making us one with all others who possess that same life, and that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us to secure us into eternal glory. Father, may we use every means of grace, every opportunity to be faithful, to stimulating one another to love and good works, to using our gifts of serving. May we truly be filled and born along by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's our prayer this morning, Heavenly Father. And we ask it in Jesus' wonderful, precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening this morning, such as it was. But anyway, we survived, (laughs) and you folks survived. Thank you. But thank you for listening. And Lord willing, we'll be here next week too. I don't want to scare you away, Uh but apparently it was my regular time next week anyway. Last week we had Carol and uh, Owen here. Mm.